Welcome to the StatMed Podcast, where we teach you how to study in med school and how to pass board-style exams. Your hosts are Ryan Orwig and David LaSalle, learning specialists who have decades of experience working with med students and physicians. This episode is part two of a two-part conversation with Ryan and Jim Colhane from Notre Dame of Maryland University School of Pharmacy. They talk about one of the most important study skills for medical students and professionals, retrieval practice. If you haven't checked out part one, we'd encourage you to listen to that first. You know, failing is actually a really good thing. It's it's the way that we learn. We don't learn necessarily very well through our successes, but we learn so much through our failures. And the the key thing is to fail in a controlled, low-stakes environment, right? Here's Ryan. I think it's important that we understand that there are these inherent challenges uh, to the art of teaching these highly important skills to students in, in this arena. Now, let me just, before we pivot, I think there's a big difference between what you do, which is coaching students while they're in the middle of the semester. Right. This is what I do. I don't work with students when they're in the semester. We right. work in the spaces in between. We work when they're on break, in between semesters, uh, in the summer, in the winter, uh, on break. If they're having to re- repeat, that's when they come to us. It lets us sort of pull the, so our, like for, I see people like you, you've got the canoe going down the river and they've got leaks in it and you're trying to help them plug those right. leaks while it's still in stream. Whereas we're like, hey, the leaks are so bad, let's pull it out of the river. Let's fix this whole thing up and put it back in. So it's a very different, but it's different, but the same. There's just different avenues and different, contexts in which we, we we sort of intervene and yes. i think both are, are really important and really and really viable and, and, I, say, I, and, I, and I you know right i think that you know you work with you work with a lot of our our students every year um with your um your and in in terms of our phrd 616 course you come in and and, and teach uh, your methodology and i think you know students that are are really struggling and they really need to retool everything that they're doing, especially if they're just, they're not, they're really not gaining traction with anything that they're doing. I think that it's really, really important to be able to pull them out of the water. Like you said, you've got to be able to, you know, pause and learn these new skills and practice them. And then, you know, and then get back in the water and start paddling downstream again. Yeah. I mean, I think both, like I said, like both of these sort of modalities of intervening for students, they're both extremely valuable. They can, they can work together. They can work in isolation. Um, I just think that I try to be a voice to number one, let people know if you're in one of these programs, if you're in med school, vet school, PharmD, and you are struggling, it's not, it makes sense. A lot of times it makes sense. It's, yeah. it's, so, it's such a, an astronomical jump from whatever undergrad or master's or biomed program you were in to going to these programs. And so many people don't have the methods in place. And there are there are a lot of things you can do. There are a lot of different strategies that can be combined, mixed and matched, uh, inter- interchanged with each other to really elevate that overall performance. So when we, when we do talk about teaching retrieval practice, I thought now maybe you and I would just, I don't know, share three different retrieval practice strategies yeah. Um, and look, if you're listening to this and this is, you know, what we say might be more than enough to really ignite in you the ability to use these or, you know, you might need to do a deep dive into the website and look at some of the stuff that we have on there. Or, of course, always you can always get a hold of me and talk to me about these things. Um, but anyway, so I don't know. The, I guess one of the first I'll go first. Um, 
one of the simplest things that we do is we say, we call it a basic self-test. We'll use the word self-test interchangeably with retrieval practice. And I use um, I use the term active recall too. That's another that's another term that you you hear. So these are all I think three interchangeable terms. Is active recall the, the term that's most commonly in the literature, or is it retrieval practice? No, you know I've seen I've seen um, I've seen all three to tell you the truth. So yeah. you know I think it's just a, that's a good point to make sure that everybody understands that we're talking about the same thing, whether we're talking about retrieval practice, self testing, or active active uh, recall. Yeah, and I, I sort of got away from using the word self-testing because I think people right. have such a negative association with the word test. Like I'll, I'll have students say, like, I don't want to attend. I don't want to do a self-test because I might not do well. Well, and that's, you know, and you said before when we talked about barriers, I mean, that is a huge barrier. The, psych the psychology of all of this and that fear of failing. And that's something that I have to really have conversations with my students about and saying, look, you know, failing is actually a really good thing. It's, it's the way yeah. that we learn. We don't learn necessarily very well through our successes, but we learn so much through our failures. And the, the key thing is to fail in a controlled, low stakes environment, right? Brilliant. That's the key. And so when you, and you do your failing there so that when you get to the exam or you get to the assessment or whatever it is that you're doing that's high stakes, you've already, you've already failed. You've got you've moved past that. Well, this I, I the I, I, attempts at failure are how we learn. Imagine like a kid. Imagine a kid eyeballing a bicycle. Like I would love to ride that bicycle, and they just like sit there and like you're like, what are you doing, kid? They're like, I'm, I'm thinking about that bike. It's like get on the bike, get on the bike, try fail, try fail, try fail. All of a sudden, you're riding a bike. Little kids are learning engines. Though. Little kids are not as afraid of failure. When I think when you get these like really uh, successful students who then get into these arenas and like and they're and they're used to never messing up, um, and and especially once they start to get rocked a little bit with some some struggling in school in med school and pharmacy school, then they're even less likely to be okay with quote unquote failing right attempts yeah. at recall failure. And you know I love your your example just kind of cued me in about the little kids and learning things because I think here's an important point about failure. Failing without expert feedback is a is not a good thing, right? Because yeah. you can end up just failing over and over and over again and not being able to fix the little things that are going on. A great example, you know, my teenage son, he's he he loves to skateboard. And I've, you know, I've never even been on a skateboard in my life. So I know nothing about skateboarding other than I'd probably break my neck if I tried it. But He's gotten into it and he's, you know, he's trying to learn these tricks like uh, called an ollie and a kickflip and and all these things. And he's, you know, he practices all the time and, you know, over and over again. And sometimes he gets frustrated. And so what I do is, you know, I'll videotape him or not videotape, but I'll, I'll, I'll video him using my iPhone, put it on slow motion so that we can watch him. And then yeah. we'll go to YouTube and watch a pro do it and compare. And so that kind of feedback so that the next time he practices it, you know, he's able to do he's able to do better instead of repeating. Yeah, more, yeah, more deliberate. So how does that translate, do you think, to a, a student trying to deploy some retrieval practice and study it? Right. So, I mean, I think, well, you mentioned it. I mean, I think that there's a couple of components to retrieval practice that, you know, is really important if you're going to do it correctly. You know, it's got to be, you know, you've got to do that self-check, right? So, yeah. 
you know, as you're as you're doing the, the you know, the self test or some of these techniques we're going to be talking about, it's really important to do an immediate self check of your answer for what I tell my students, depth, breadth and accuracy. Right. Beautiful. Exactly. And that's that's what I was I was lobbing that up there for you. Yeah, so exactly. That that's, that's that's really important. Right. You don't you don't right. The expert is the source material you're checking against. You don't yep. have to have some PhD explaining it to you. You just need to check the source. That unless you don't understand it, that's the other piece too. Right. And, you know, and and I think that's an, one other thing too that I think is real important for your listeners to understand. And I want to reinforce because when I work with faculty and I do faculty development in this area, sometimes you'll get pushback about this because it sounds very similar to memorization, which in wrote, higher ed, wrote, 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 mem wrote memorization, bad word in higher ed, and I and I get it. Yeah. But yeah. The example that I, I give them all the time is that, OK, you know, to me, rote memorization is being able to remember facts without con contextual understanding. So, for example, sure. you could memorize six different Russian vocabulary words and not have a clue what they mean and remember them and repeat them back later on. To right. me, that's rote memorization. You know, retrieval practice is really bringing those words to the forefront of your mind, maybe using them in a sentence, understanding their meaning, how are they connected to one another? So that when you do that in your retrieval practice, it's not just about rote memorization, but it's really about contextual learning, right? And, and really trying to think more deeply about what you're remembering. Because the more connections that you make, right, between the information you're trying to recall and prior knowledge that you have in your long-term memory, the stronger that information will be encoded into your long-term memory and the longer you're going to be able to hold on to it and use it more effectively. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I understand the, 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 the fear of, of rote memory and, and I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think that that's right. I know how you feel about that, but I think some people, when they hear retrieval practice, they're like, Oh, this yeah. is just a buzz. This is a buzzword for rote memorization. Oh, yeah. 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 Like, yeah. You, you and I are both making yeah, you and I are both making like stink faces. Like, no, that's not. No, what no, right. no, that's not right. That, that's, that's a good point as well. So anyway, so, you know, I, I, I use the basic self-test. Basic self-test is like real simple. You pick something and you attempt to recall it, you know, and yep. I, I, I like having like numeric prompts like, oh, there's eight things I need to recall from this or uh, like there's three subcategories with four things each under it. Like some some of those kind of things And we talk about maybe you can. As you're read, in lecture or reading, you can delineate those things, those missing categorical layers, we call them. And then you can quiz yourself off that stuff. As you're reading, instead of underlining and highlighting, you're like, oh, okay, this little paragraph is really talking about uh, like risk factors. And there's eight of right. them. And, and it's talking about, instead of like highlighting all eight, no, it's just, there's just eight of them. Maybe I number them. Uh, and then when I'm coming back to self-test, I'm like, what are those eight risk factors under this this category? Boom, 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 boom. Oh, I got four. I, for, I forgot four. I got four. I, I picked two that aren't part of it, and I forgot the other two. All, and then the self-check corrects it. Um, and then you can toggle with that. You can toggle back. Like, like, you know, you can read for a little while, and when you start to get tired, start to zone out. Instead of like, let me read something else, say, let me just go back to the previous 30 slides I just did, or 20 slides or 10 slides. And let me find some stuff to self, some stuff to self check, do basic self tests on, and I do that for maybe five ten minutes, and I just pick up and resume my reading. That's a small, simple way to use retrieval practice while in the middle of studying to change gears to keep you in control of the learning, keep you on, relatively on task, but to make it more dynamic, more like cross training. Um, 
with with the study. So that's that's what you know. It's a, obviously a very simplified version of the basic self test. What yeah. what is uh, one that you might use? Yeah. So I mean, that's really the, that's really the question that I asked myself when I when I started. You know, when, when I first met you, and I began to understand a lot more about what you do and the methodology that you teach is like. As a, as a teacher, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, okay, this theoretically, this makes a ton of sense. And I'm looking at the literature, I'm like, wow, there's there's a ton of great empirical scientific evidence out there to support that this really works well. And so the next question as an educator is, how do I teach my students, right, how to do this? And in a way that's easy and accessible and maybe even familiar to them. So, you know, as I started to think about that a little bit, it, it came to me that in some cases, we were actually doing retrieval practice in our classrooms through active learning techniques or pedagogy that we were using in our classrooms. Things like um, the minute paper is a technique that I, I talk to my students about. And we, we use that in a lot of our classes. Uh, Mid-lecture, we might stop after we, we, we've talked for a few minutes about a complex topic. We'll tell our students to pull out a piece of paper or, or you know bring up a word, blank word sheet. And for one minute, Type down everything that you can remember about what we just talked about and write a paragraph about it. So it's not just about remembering facts and information, but it's contextualizing it. It's, it's describing it in your own words. And this is really related to another evidence-based learning strategy that's called elaboration. And, you know, it's just ex explaining, you know, you can do verbal elaboration, you can do written elaboration. And so my students, because they were familiar with that technique, that we use in the classroom, like, oh yeah, you know, Dr. So-and-so does this in their class. I'm like, absolutely. And guess what? You can do it while you're studying too. I, I, I love it as an instructional tool. Like, yep. why, why is this not just a part of our culture? Like, yep. you know, at some point, the professor is going to be like, all right, hold on a second, write this out and then self-check it. I mean, that should be a part, like three times a, a lecture. Like, you know, it's going to happen. I feel like it would keep you more on your toes and it would demand that sort of synthesis, recall attempt, failure, you know, elaboration, then yeah. self-check and corrective, and then you move on. That exactly. tie, I like the idea of like tying back into material through retrieval practice in various capacities as you're moving forward. It just ties it all in better. Yes. Um, but, yes. but as you say, and look, we're not... <laughs> I, 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 every day I talk to students and every day students are upset about their professors or their schools or their right. med school change of curriculum or this professor is terrible. I'm like, doesn't matter. Like, okay, air it out. I'll listen to it. I hear you. and I feel for you, but it's not changing. It's not changing. So air out your grievances and then say, what can I do as the learner in the cockpit driving this thing do to make it better for me? And Absolutely. A, a one minute, like drop out, say like, during, especially if it's like on-demand lecture you're watching right now, boom, pause. What do I remember? Boom, boom, boom. Press start, carrying on. Studying exactly. on your own. I'm, I'm in the middle of reading. Let me just stop, jam out that white, do the one-minute paper, boom, boom, boom. What do I remember? But you self-check it, and then you move on. Um, it's great. And that ties in. So number three, uh, our third one, my second one here, would be what we call the time self-lecture. Mm -hmm. It's very similar to the basic self-test, except we add a timer. I like three minutes and, and people are like, I've seen people try to do stuff. That's like, it's like watching a kid try to put a whole hamburger in their mouth in one time. Like, <laughs> why, couldn't I, why couldn't I get through it in three minutes? Cause you, you chose 50 slides. I mean, you right. got to learn like, what's like enough like Goldilocks, not too little, not too much. Just right. right. Let me pick like 
a sizable amount that's going to make me really push to try to get through it in three minutes. So you got the, the, the ticking clock and you and I want them to talk out loud and write it. And it can be very abbreviated in some sort of fashion. Like, like I think of like on a whiteboard, like you're like you're organizing it on a blackboard or something, but like numbers, abbreviations. So it's making you go through all these hoops. So the act of talking it out, like if you, if you can't say it, you don't know it. Um, right. You're going to be evaluated eventually talking out loud when you get to like rotations and stuff like that. Absolutely. So, exactly. Why right. are you not practicing that? You, know, you ask people like, how often do you practice? Like never. Like I'm not trying to make you feel ashamed. I'm just pointing it, pointing it out. Um, talking out loud. And then that's another sensory mo- modality. It's like, you know, coming out through the vocal cords, out through the years, all good. Um, but if you can't say it, you don't know it. Having to write stuff down is another complication. It makes it easier to self-check because if you didn't put something there, then you're not allowed to count it. Uh, all while operating under that timer ticking down because I, the joke I make, um, which I enjoy, you know, it's not even a joke. I'm just like, because yeah, you're never evaluated under time circumstances, are you? Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, people are like, well, you know, I don't have enough practice questions. Like, I don't care about practice questions. This stuff is what really matters. If you are doing this kind of stuff, thinking under time pressure, um, it, it, it's 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 the whole ball game. So I think the goal should be whatever your the sequences of your study, it should all be to get to retrieval practice. Ideally, some kind of like like you said, like the one minute paper, the time self lecture, so that you're actually burning and pushing to get through retrieval mechanism, retrieval circuits uh, yeah. under some kind of time pressure. So that's that's another one on my end. What, what's another one you might be able to? Yeah, and that's you know what you mentioned there too is is again another one of those evidence based learning strategies. It's called dual coding. Exactly what the three minute lecture utilizes, and it, it's really really effective. Um, the um, I what think is, another one. Can you, can you define dual coding? Is or is it yeah, just basically? Dual coding, it, it's uh, you you did you did a great job I think explaining the concept in in your example there. It's an evidence-based learning strategy that takes advantage of multiple modes of, of input, sensory input, right? Dual, dual meaning two coding. So you're, you, as you pointed out, you've got the audio from your, you know, um, talking out the concept yeah. out loud. And then you've got the mechanics of writing or drawing, yeah. so the kinesthetic input. Um, yeah. and so yeah. together, we think that that actually enhances encoding of information more than either one of those by themselves. So again, like why not bring that in? I mean, you know, our students we have, they're like, they're studying all day. They're studying all the time. Or you're not studying all the time and you want to get the most bang for your buck when you are. I mean, why not do things that are, that emphasize best encoding practice? Encode, put it in, retrieve, access, pull it out. That's, that's the whole, the whole shebang really. So that's what I think everybody wants to mean. I mean, I think on the professor side, this is what we want our students to do. Um, on the student side, this is where you're spending like, your time is your currency. That's like the, the the scarce resource. So you want to be able Absolutely. to get the bang for your buck while you're there. Okay, what's another one? So another one that's really really interesting that um, has evolved for me is the empty outline technique. Again, this uh-huh. is another one of those classroom activities that professors can use with their students to help them to practice retrieval in the classroom. So basically all the empty outline is, is if your slides or your, or your handouts are in an outline format, you go in and you empty them out. You empty out the details and leave blank spaces. And then the, the student's job is to try to remember what goes into those 
blank spaces. Yeah. Right? And so, um, and and I this this particular technique early on was really appealing to me because it 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 forced the student to actually use the learning materials that I was giving them in class or that their instructor was giving them in class. So in other words, the PowerPoint presentations or the handouts, they weren't recreating something like recopying their notes or creating these elaborate tables or yeah. whatever that takes a lot of time to do. It's a lot of clerical time. It's a lot of clerical time recopying. That exactly. But you're not really, it's not high yield learning. No, no, you don't get, you don't get a very much return on your time investment with stuff yeah. like that. So, uh, you know, my, my my whole idea was how can we efficient, more efficiently do this by using the materials that students have? And so um, I started teaching that technique to a number of the students that I, I was coaching at the time. And as as they were practicing this technique, they were coming back and saying, Dr. Colhane, you know, this is working, but it takes me so long to empty out these outlines or PowerPoint presentations go in and delete and that's, everything. That's and the clerical demand that becomes the like, yeah. office work clerical demand that we don't that we're trying to avoid, right? Right. And so what? But it, here's the here's the really neat part about the story. And I know you and I have had this experience also. Um, is that one of the students I was coaching uh, mm -hmm. and working with? Uh, he came back to me one day. He said, "You know what? I've got this idea." He said, "Instead of deleting everything." He said, what, I've, what, I, what I did is I just went into PowerPoint and drew boxes, colored boxes over the text to, you know, sort of like using a piece of paper to cover up a, a printed out note, right, yeah. um, note page. And so, and he said it was a lot faster um, in that way. And I thought that was a real kind of brilliant, in, you know, innovation uh, with that. And, you know, as I started to think about ways we could improve on that, um, I, I added a lot of different elements to it, and it evolved into a retrieval practice technique that you and I have talked about before, is what I call the boxing and unboxing uh, technique, which we might get into in another, maybe another podcast or discussion. Yeah, no, we're, I, th I think we're going to build something out on this. This idea of using boxes in PowerPoints is is absolutely fascinating. It's a great tool that, the, you know, you've sort of explained it to me on the fly, and we looked at it a little bit. I was like, oh, this is something. So, and you call it bot. What are you calling it? I call it I call it boxing and unboxing. So basically, boxing there's two parts unboxing. to it. So yeah, boxing and unboxing. So you're boxing the lecture. Um, you're boxing yep. the lecture up essentially. You're going through each slide. You're you're drawing squares or rectangles in PowerPoint um, yeah. over key pieces of information that you need to retrieve. And then inside the boxes, what you're doing is you're creating what I refer to as retrieval cues. Okay. These are prompts or questions that will help you to retrieve or remember that information. So, you know, maybe you're covering up the definition of a term and in the box you write define this term or you might even write how does this term relate to another concept or well, why yeah, is this important? It's great. So that, and, that, and some of that ties into what we call the missing categorical layer. Yeah. So, because I feel like what happens with these experts, like the the the, the categories and subcategories get obscured. So yep. what we want, like, okay, this is definitional. This is what are the causes? Let's say we're like looking at sister cirrhosis or whatever. Like, what are the definition, the cause, transmission, results, epidemiological information, diagnostic stuff, um, you know, all that. Like, because if you, I think we should teach students to read as they're reading. You got to read it once, and yes. then learn how to seek and break and pull out those missing categorical layers. 
yeah, identify exactly. that. And Absolutely. we want to put those either on the side, in the margins, or you put it on top or, of the box. Or you're, you're, you're making a judgment call about what to box out, how to box it out, what type of question or retrieval cue to put in the box. It's, in, you know, and it's really interesting you mentioned that because I think that the processes are very, very closely related. And I didn't think about that in that way, but, you know, I think that that's really important. You're unconsciously, like you, you've always said, kind of building that blueprint or superstructure, right? Yeah, we call it framework. I feel framework, like so, right. That's what you guys call it, right. Yeah, and my theory, my theory of like learning is about like, I think a lot of our med students in the PharmDs and vets we, we work with, their brains don't build those frameworks automatically. No. They, whereas most, I think most people in the field do, but I think a lot don't. If you don't, then you need to do it overtly, right? Yeah, and especially if, if your professor's a mess too, and their lecture yeah. notes are a mess and and totally disorganized and there's no, you know, organization or structure to it. That no, only adds a layer, right? Yes. Of difficulty. It's, it's a layer of it's like obfuscation and you can't see it and you can't find it. And it's just a mess. So this idea of seek, seeking and finding also makes the reading act much more engaged. Yes. Because, you know, trying to read and memorize isn't, it's not really how it works. So if you're like seeking and finding and extracting it, it's, it turns into a scavenger. It's, analysis. it's, it's yes. analysis, what you're doing. You're unlocking the critical analytical side of your brain yeah. and engaging it by default, which is yep. really powerful. Now, again, so the, go ahead. Oh, no. So I just really, I wanted to finish up the, the unboxing side of, yep. of things, right? So you, after you've gone through your PowerPoint presentation, your Word handout, and you've covered things up in squares, and you've typed in your retrieval cues, you know, the next thing to do is to unbox the lecture, unpackage it. And so that means going slide by slide and, you know, using those retrieval cues to try to remember what's under the box or describe. Right. It's recall. Right. And one of the neat things about it that I was so excited to kind of hit me is that the color coding system that we came up with for the boxes. Right which allows you to track your learning. And you mentioned this at the beginning of our discussion about that, that, that data strip that should come out of your brain telling you, yeah. okay, you've encoded this and how do we do that? Well, when you unbox the lecture in this technique, if you successfully retrieve all the information underneath the box, I instruct my students to turn that box to the color green, indicating you're good to go. If yeah. you have partial recall, you change it to yellow. And if you can't recall anything at all, you change it to red. And then you've got, obviously, you've got your fourth color, which is your default color that you use when you first cover the box up that just indicates that you have not attempted retrieval on that material. And so what students can do now is they can track their learning on a day-to-day -day basis. Inherently without a huge time cost. So let me, okay, so we will, you and I will yeah. get together on this and we will, this will be built out and you'll be able to find it on the, on the, on the, on the website. Um, and then we'll probably do a deeper dive talk into it because I think it's absolutely fascinating. So that's that's boxing and unboxing. Is that what you're yep. that's what you're calling? Okay, beautiful. Yep. Um, all right. So now, like I said, moving forward, last one for me, I would say we use uh, voice flash cues. So that's using your phone. Yeah. Especially like if you're doing if you're at board a board prep level and they're like you're reading and you're seeing all this high yield information being laid out like in the explanations you know like, what do i do with all these fragments of information the idea is like you and you, you can do this in, in any regard you can do it while you're studying in lecture like after studying information after lecture however you like it and you basically are turning factoids into question answer files and you're just reading them into your phone and then you can listen to them on the go 
when yeah. you have a commute, light, light, like physical labor, light workouts, uh, go for a walk and you can be quizzing yourself, question, answer, question. So you listen to the question, pause it, attempt to recall the answer, then hear the answer. Boom, 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 boom in a circuit. Um, I don't, I, I think of that as something as a boost, as a, as a bonus, not as a primary learning strategy. Um, but it, it can be a really powerful resource for people, especially yeah. if you're like really in a crunch studying and you feel like I don't have time to do anything other than study. Well, now you can make something on the fly and then go do something a little healthy. Even if it's just get out, walk around, get on a treadmill, whatever it might float your boat. Or if you've got, you, you have a long commute and you want to utilize that, like don't just listen to a lecture. That's very low yield. Right. And they, and students do that all the time. And, you know, and it's, it, it, it's, you know, I, and I've talked to you a little bit about my, um, before about my, my philosophy or idea about the process of learning, right. And how students move through different stages of learning to achieve content mastery. And, you know, I think one of the things that I find with my students that are maybe struggling a little bit, they spend way too much time in that understanding phase of learning where they're, yeah. they, you know, I don't understand something, so I can't start retrieval practice yet. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, That's, no, no, no. They, they go hand in hand, you yes. know, you come out of class and you've got a certain level of understanding, hopefully if you are conscious and awake and, and paying attention, but as you start to get into retrieval practice, and if you use some of these elaborative strategies that we talked about, your understanding will grow as you're encoding that information in the long-term memory, right? Uh, yes, absolutely. And I think that's really important is this idea of not waiting for dead mastery to move yes. on. You've got to be okay. Understand. Like, it's almost like your learning has to be like a crude hypothesis. And the only way to really test it is by trying it, you know, yep. building it. And that, and that should be through attempting recall. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's like, I don't know. I feel like it's like somebody who goes to the weight room for three years straight and they never increase the weights. Yeah. Um, like we had a, a buddy of mine growing up. Uh, we, we were out in our senior year and he'd been going to the gym. He'd been working out his entire high school career. And he was, and somebody talked about like increasing their bench press or something. He's, he's like, wait, what? And they're like, yeah, like, you know, you increase it as you work out throughout the day. He's like, oh, is there a real quiet? Like, what? Why? Why do you say that? He's like, <laughs> he was like, I never increased the weight. And we were like, over how long? He was like, all of it. So he was uh, still uh, benching and curling and squatting the same amount for three three years. This wow. guy, by the way, this guy, by the way, um, shows up at our like there's there's like didn't show up at our ten year high school reunion. We didn't know where he went. He was like working at a bar. Showed up at our twenty year high school reunion. Now look, at your twenty year high school reunion. There's gonna be some people that show up and they're doctors, and it's like obvious. Yeah, and there's gonna be one person that shows up and they're a doctor, and it's equally hilarious and terrifying. <laughs> that, that, that was him. That oh was really? It. Yeah. yeah, it was it was awesome. It was awesome. Super smart. We didn't know. Um, oh wow! And, uh, wow. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, great. Like it was it was awesome, you know. But he was he is this idea of I I just got to keep doing the same thing without you know adding the resistance, adding the struggle, adding the failure. Right. That's where right. we grow. That's where it grows. And so this idea of like, I, I've got to keep it steady the whole way. No, 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 no. Overburden, fail, mess up, readjust. And, 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 and obviously it, it, it'll get better as you go, even though it won't be pretty. Learning should not be super pretty. Um, right. it, should be, it should be a little ugly. It should be a little messy. And, and that's, I mean, that's a really great 
point that you bring up about retrieval practice is that, you know, one of the conditions for successful re retrieval practice that we know um, is introducing what uh, Robert Bjork and his wife Elizabeth uh, call desirable difficulties, right? Yeah. So, right. And so this is important. So if retrieval practice, and I love your weight room analogy, right? If retrieval practice is easy, right? If it's, and you can, and you can do it without, without much effort, you're not getting much benefit to it. It's very passive. And but so, yeah, that, 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 that was like the reason I brought in that awkward analogy about my buddy. Like, because it like working out had to be pretty easy for him for the, for like at least two and a half years, and he never right. like caught on. And so he didn't gain he didn't gain a lot from that, right? Oh, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like man, you're you're spending an awful lot of time in the gym. You you know, where's the where's the yield? Um, but it's it's it, right. It's it's about understanding this desirable difficulty, and that's that is a, that is a great word to really. Anchor. Oh, I, I love that. Yeah. In fact, if you're you know if you've got any. If, any sophisticated readers out there, people that like to dive into the literature, anything that that uh, uh, Bob or Elizabeth Bjork has written is is definitely worth um, looking into. They're they're really at the top of the field with regards to things like retrieval practice, metacognition, and and uh, yes. learning. So yeah, so and then just talking about the, like those voice flash cues. I mean, I know it sounds a lot like Anki, and Anki's great because Anki is like an automated thing. There's already files out there. Yep. Um, it's detail oriented. Some of it might even go straight to audio. If that works for you, great. Let me just say this quickly as a caveat, and I'll, and I'll elaborate on this elsewhere. Anki does not always work for everyone. I think yeah. Anki is really good for bottom-up learners, people who can learn from the details and then assimilate them into a, a framework subconsciously. But I meet a lot of people and they're like, it's like the emperor has no clothes on type of thing. They're like, why is everybody swearing by this and it doesn't work for me? And usually those are top-down learners, and they need an explicit framework. They need to be able to seek and find and build that framework themselves, and then the details will go in more fluidly and and and, and quickly and, and and with better encoding and retrieval. But I just want to make sure that we understand that when I talk about something like voice flash cues, like it's very similar to Anki. Both of those are detail-oriented, and if you are someone in that detail first learning doesn't work, it's okay. It makes sense. But that's, it's often because of that. It's like that, 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 that framework building mechanism is just not as innate in that learner. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think another important piece that you, you bring up as well too, you know, we have retrieval practice tools like flashcards, Anki, Quizlet, those things are all available. There's lots of apps out there now that help yeah. you with retrieval practice. Uh, and I think that, one of the things that, again, if you go to the, the scientific literature about retrieval practice, and I, uh, Robert Bjork talks about this as well, too, is that um, you don't, especially if there's a long period of time in between assessments, if you're a student, right, and you've got exams every month, every four, five, six weeks, okay, yeah. or maybe you have one at the midterm and one at the end of the semester, for using sure. the same retrieval practice strategy to study for that course over and over again can be very, very ineffective because you develop something that the cognitive psychologists call automaticity. And so, you know, the, the retrieval becomes yeah. essentially automatic versus and you're losing the desirable difficulty, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so what the way to beat that, and, you know, you have this built into your system, and I, that's why I really like what you you and, and Dave teach, um, is the, um, the different methods for retrieval practice. So you can yeah. mix it up. If you vary it now yeah. for my students that I work with, 
they've got exams about every two weeks, major exams. I don't necessarily think, at least in my experience, that for many of them, that's long enough for that automaticity to develop. Um, right. Because most of them aren't hitting their material every single day, spacing it out on a daily basis. Right. Um, there's still probably some cramming and, and blocking going in there. But, you know, for any longer periods of that, I might suggest using multiple retrieval practice strategies. That's on the yeah, that's that's and that, that that's why you're on here. That's why you're on here, Jim, for bringing those. <laughs> those and like I said, I'm not, uh, you know, Ryan, I am absolutely no expert on this at all. This is not my area of expertise. I have no formal training in education other than you know, what I've, what I've learned over the years in reading the literature. And yeah, but you brought your, your, your PhD brain into this and the way that you read and consume, um, you know, the literature is, yeah. is truly valuable. And yet being an aggregator and a share of that information is really valuable. Hey, well, oh, absolutely. I, I just, I'm, all I'm trying to do is in the, best, in the best way and the most accurate way that I can but to, you've got your own little lab now because you've got your students coming in to see you. And that's like I told you when you when you took on this position, I was like, you're going to love it because yeah. you're getting live real world experience and live real world feedback working with those students. And that just levels you up. Right. Just. In the, oh, in the- absolutely. And that's and I think that's really the difference too. you know, you and I have talked in the past, too. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of really good information on the on YouTube and on the Web about retrieval practice. And then there's some really poor information. Yeah. Know, out yeah. there about it. And I think that, um, you know, it's really, really important if you're a student looking for this kind of, of, of information is to really uh, evaluate your source material that you're getting. And, you know, if you and some students, you know, all they need to do is listen to a 15 or 20 minute YouTube video and they might yeah. be able to pick it up. Right. It's like the gifted mm-hmm. athlete. You can teach them, yeah. you know, right. How to shoot a goal from midfield. Right. Without in yeah. 15 minutes and they've got it. But for most students, especially if you're struggling, it's really, I think, important to engage with an expert, someone who can help guide you through the process, provide you with feedback and teach you different methodologies and strategies to do that. And unfortunately, I mean, the world we live in, there's, you know, not all experts are the same. Right. Um, Right. You know, you do you do have to be discerning. and, And just because somebody might have like some credentials. It doesn't mean what, like if they're telling you something and it's not clicking, you know, it might not, it might, right. it might be them and not you, you know, it's those, it's those thousands of hours, you know, you, that you've accumulated working with students that struggle that, you know, you've built that mental database of, yeah. you know, how to diagnose, how to steer students in the right direction. And, you know, for you, again, what I keep, what, what always amazes me is I think back on our, you know, kind of our journey together is that, you know, you were really promoting this stuff to us yeah. years before it was it was really becoming mainstream. And so, you know, that's that time, you know, that time in in, in place, it really working with it is is hugely beneficial. Yeah, I guess it does put me ahead of the curve because yes, I've been definitely absolutely without it, without a doubt, I think. Yeah, it's weird. I don't think about it. I, you know, it's just like it's like that's just the way I see the world. Yeah. So right. Yeah. I mean, I've been I guess I was swimming in that into the pool by myself for quite some time. And I had so many students coming to me. They right. gave me use the word outlier earlier. But I, see, I think I'm actually an outlier by the by Malcolm Gladwell's definition, because I was an early adopter of these skills. I had all kinds of time with my med students and my physicians who were struggling and my farm students. And then I, I built, I started building solutions earlier. 
than yep. I think a lot of people did. So I think by and then refining them over and over again over years. I mean that's that's, that's incessantly that's, and maddeningly continuing to revise and fix and, and rebuilding out. based upon that feedback that you get from your students. Yeah. That's really yeah. and that's really you you told me that and 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 you know it's really paid off a lot because a lot of what I learn and a lot of the changes that I've made to methodologies that I recommend to students are based upon the feedback that I yeah. get from them. Hey, this yes. is working because look, you can you can come up with the greatest system in the world to teach students how to do retrieval practice. Yep. But if they can't do it, if it's not practical or they don't want to do it or they're intimidated by it, yep. Doesn't it's matter. worthless. It's worthless. Absolutely. Yeah, no, and, and that's that that is the magic piece is like, are you listening to your students? And that's why I mean I have re, I have relationships with students from 15 years ago. And yeah. I still, I mean, they're they're text me today, you know. No, I have a, like a but one of my guys, I guess he's a friend of mine now. Like he lives in 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 Florida and he drives. 45 minutes each way to go to his, to work in the emergency department and it'll just call me and we'll talk, we'll talk about other stuff too, but we also talk about what yeah. we're doing with stat med and what he can do if he, if he, if he can contribute or, you know, he's got a test he wants to talk about, but it's, it's fascinating. Awesome. If I don't, if I don't have that feedback, how am I going to know? And that's kind exactly. of how we built all of this was listening and continuing to listen to our students. So, all right. Well, I think that's that. This has run long enough. I've, I've yeah. taken enough of, your, enough of your time. No, well. it's been great. I, you know, like I said, we, I, I, I love talking about this, this stuff, and kind of nerd out on it, and that's yeah. why I enjoy this talking is, yeah, to you about not, it. Yeah, this is not that different from conversations you and I have been having just one on one for the last last ten years. So absolutely, just recorded it this time. So we'll have you back on here for sure, and we will um, dive into your boxing and unboxing, and we'll do something great. like that too. Because I think that's just that's that's pure gold. So, thank you for um, you know sharing sh sharing your time and and talking with us. And uh, we'll have you back on here soon. Thank you, Ryan. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the StatMed podcast. If you like this show, we hope you'll subscribe. You can find more test-taking and studying strategies specifically developed for med students and physicians over at our blog on statmedlearning.com. Thanks for listening.